0: Verse 31 of chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, made his wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she'd stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's made Zippor bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat fields in the harvest and found mandrakes in the fields and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you've taken my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Then Jacob came out of the field in the evening. Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Iskar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons so she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And this is a story of the 11 sons coming into the household of Jacob. And again, bear in mind, Benjamin would be born in the promised land after this through Rachel. She would die in childbirth. She would call him son of my sorrow in her childbirth. But Jacob changed his name to son of my right hand, Benjamin. As we go forward in Genesis, and particularly get to the life of Joseph in Egypt and the sons, Benjamin and all the sons, you'll see how as grown men and adults this plays out with these guys. So he's got 11 sons from four different women. You say, like, what's that all about? I I don't know. It's just how it worked. That's how it played out. Obviously, we know that we're to have one woman or one man. That's God's design. That's God's order. But we also know it's good for a country to have godly kings, too. We don't always have godly kings, do we? Right? It's good for us to make right decisions in our personal life. We don't always make the right decisions in our personal lives. So we can understand that the human adventure, the human experience, is messy. And a passage like this, I just want to go to Romans where it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds. All the more. So once we get past, like, how did God work through all this? Well, He did, and Israel's a nation, and a lot of those people that live in Israel right now are distant descendants of one of these 12 sons, ethnically. Not all of them, but some are. And there's more people around this planet that are descendants of these sons, ethnically, 4,000 years later, going strong. There's people groups that have existed that no longer exist in human history. These 11 sons had lots of children and their descendants live all over this planet today and particularly quite a few in Israel. And the book of Revelation tells us that God has a very special plan with the ethnic sons, descendants of these sons for the last days with 144,000 witnesses. God's always working on something bigger and all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But as we look at this story, it is so very human. When I read this story, the thought comes to my mind what they used to say in Chile when there was drama. Uh, es telenovela, which of course is soap opera in Spanish. And it was a slang that the kids would use, like when there was some kind of drama with parents or, or the contest or officials. Or they're like, oh, it's telenovela. It's telenovela. It's just human drama. It's a soap opera. Our lives are a soap opera. Our extended families are a soap opera. There's a reason like Days of Our Lives have been on TV for 60 years. It just goes on and on and on from generation to generation. Churches are a soap opera. Where you work is a soap opera. College classrooms are a soap opera. In other words, a soap opera just being the drama of the human experience where God is trying to draw men and women to himself through grace and like a chess board, keep check and move check to checkmate in people's lives who are too foolish to seek him, but he reaches out to them and he's working. There's so much we're going to see in the life of Jacob and we'll get more to it in a couple of weeks after Christmas because there's so much that God's doing in Jacob's life right here. But right here, it's like he's just surrendered to the fact like, oh, I've got four wives. I've got all this drama and I just want everyone to be happy. And that's never going to happen. As he gets back to the promised land, there's just more drama. But yet we're sin abounds. Grace abounds all the more. And there's no accidents in this story. Who has children when, how those children are born, the legacy of those children's lives, the legacy of their descendants. There's greatness over all this because God's grace is great. So as we think about this, I would just call this message tonight, In the Midst of the Drama, because this is drama. And in the midst of this drama, that's family drama, there's some very interesting things that we can take and learn. And I might say it's even a bit timely around Christmas time. We're going to be spending time with different family members and extended families where there just might be a little bit of drama. And there's things that we can learn. First of all, we want to look at Rachel. In chapter 29, verse 20, we did not read it, but I summarized it. Chapter 29, well, verse 18 says that Jacob loved Rachel. And it says in verse 20 of chapter 29, when he served the seven years for Rachel, they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. He was in love. And love just makes the sky bluer, the grass greener, and the sun brighter. He loved her. Rachel was loved. Her husband loved her passionately. And yet, she was not fulfilled in her husband's love. There's an irony to her life. And if you contrast with Leah, it's the exact opposite. Everything Leah wanted, Rachel had. Leah just wanted to be loved by her husband, and yet that's the very thing that Rachel had. Rachel was profoundly loved by her husband on the mental, emotional, and physical level. He loved her. Seven years was like nothing to marry her. I'm quite certain the next seven years was more of a grind because the next seven years, he had to think about how what he sowed, he reaped. As he deceived his dad, he was deceived by his father-in-law. So that's a different story. But Rachel was loved by her husband, which is a central theme of this text. But in spite of that love that was there to give her assurance, and security in the relationship. We read these things about her life. In verse 1 of chapter 3, we read that she envied her sister. That's a strong word. Envy will tear you up. It's always unwise to compare our lives to other people's lives. It can become very dangerous when siblings do it within a family. It's a dangerous place to go when you start comparing yourself to other people. If for no other reason, there's always someone prettier, more handsome, smarter, faster, quicker, and better. So inevitably, you can find yourself discouraged quite quickly. We know that God gives different things for different people. When he said in the end of the Gospel of John that what I have... For, to Peter, he said, what I have for John is none of your business, but when you grow old, when you get older, you'll go where you don't want to go, and you'll have an ending you don't want to have. And Peter said, well, what about him? And Jesus said, don't you worry about him. What I have for him, I have for him. It's like that. Why did two people get cancer at 40 and one gets healed and one doesn't? Who can who can answer such things? Who's sufficient to know such things and even pretend to know the mind of God. The book of Job is dedicated as much as anything to humanity to not try and sit there and think they know everything. Job's three friends speculating and speculating chapter after chapter nonsense about why these things happen to Job is just proof, text, evidence in the word of God that we don't know what's going on. Then God reproves them. He reproves Job. And then he says, this is what I have for you. And then the New Testament tells us that God had a good ending intended for Job, which just shows none of them knew what was going on. Got to be careful that we don't compare ourselves to other people. In the letter to the first Corinthians, Paul talked about how people compared him to Apollos and Peter. And he said it was carnal and it was divisive. But we do compare. There'll be comparisons. People compare pastors. You listen on K-Wave, you go like, "I, I really like this guy, but I don't like that guy. This guy speaks to me, that guy doesn't speak to me. And we draw comparisons. And what happens is we find ourselves being envious of others when we feel like they have more than us. And one more thing I'll add to this is the parable of the miners. I said this, this this last year I thought a lot about this. If we feel like we're getting less, we're all for socialism because we wanna get equal to someone getting more than us. But if someone wants to give us more, we're for capitalism. Because we're all for getting more if we get more than the other person. I've observed this in the human experience. If I ever write a book of Proverbs, I'll put it there. Because I've seen that. Everyone wants to trust to be equal. And if the trust is not equal, people flip out. Except for the person who's got the greater amount in the trust. You can get five adult siblings together like, hey, mom and dad gave you an extra 20%. Like, that's what's wrong with that? I did this and I did that. I took care of mom, I took care of dad. Well, it needs to be equal. But if that same person was getting less and someone else was getting more, then they'd want to be equal. Jesus in the pair of the miners gave one person one, one person two, and another person five. It's not what they got that mattered, it's what they did with it that mattered. Envy is a dangerous thing, it'll destroy people. Because envy and jealousy are next door neighbors without a fence, they go right there together. You can really tell where your heart's at when you rejoice for other people's favor and blessings and prosperity. When you can rejoice in that and not find yourself envious or jealous of that, promotion comes from the Lord. Even Jacob, when his wife frustrated him, he's like, "What is that about me?" God has with. You know? Can you imagine the evening after this conversation? Who am I? I'm not God. He's withheld your womb. Well, let's just let it out what we're all thinking here. We already know that this is the Lord, but it, that's what John the Baptist said. A man or a woman can receive nothing that's from the Lord. This text tells us that God closed wombs and He opened wombs for both of them. And James, like, well, I don't want to tell you. It's between you and the Lord. So she envied her sister. She was frustrated. She frustrated her husband. She had conflict with her sister because she said, Oh, I've wrestled with my my sister. Dan means wrestling. She so wrestled with her sister, she named a kid after it. I mean, that's 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 pretty serious. It's like, hey, this is our one of our sons. What's his name? Dan. What's it mean? Wrestling. Does he, does he play for is he wrestling for Calvary Chapel High School? Is he for church boys? No. Because his, his, mom, his mom and the auntie had, they had a wrestle, they, they wrestled for this stuff. Like, wow, that's, that's kind of odd. Moving on to the next conversation. Naming a kid, but this is how intense it was. So she can't even have a kid. She gets her maid to have this be the surrogate mother, which didn't work too well for grandmother Sarah, by the way, with Hagar. And she says, ah, wrestling, I've wrestled with my sister and I'm prevailing. And then, of all of it that gets my attention is when she finally has a son and all she can do is say, I'm going to have another son. Did you catch that? I suppose there's two ways you could look at this. And I have to be fair to Rachel. Because she said, give me a son lest I die. And she died while having a son. The irony of that. But... She calls his name Joseph, which means fruitful. But she wasn't really speaking about him being fruitful, which later on, Jacob will prophesy over him, and he was fruitful. Joseph is a fruitful bow there in the latter part of Genesis. She calls him fruitful because she can't. she's already proclaiming the next son she's going to have. So either she's speaking a word of faith, if you will, like I'm believing in God for my next son, which technically is true, or... Even when she has a son, she can't even enjoy that because she's so consumed with the envy and the bitterness and the wrestling with her sister that she's got to already be moving on to the next son. i got to have more sons because i got to catch up to, to my older sister who has six sons. I believe personally that's probably the case. But either way, it would seem she was never content. And I'm going to suggest to us tonight that she never... Really enjoyed her journey. I mentioned at the beginning of this year, I set down five bullet point macro goals for my life, and I've really enjoyed them this year. And number four was to be in the moment. I tend to be distracted. I tend to have vision and think about where things are going, looking around the corner. And the Lord's like, hey, let's just try in 2019 and be like right in the moment. Let's be in today. I'll look at a date planner, and I'll see the day, and I'm looking at the week and the month, and I'm like, I'm looking over here. I mean, we're planning a first quarter right now for worship, who's doing the sound, who's doing the words. I, I like to look ahead and stuff like that. I was like, let's just do today. And then the fifth thing was is to serve people in the moment. So like when my wife's talking to me, I'm paying attention. When Zippy and Gauzy show up, I stopped everything, and that's all that matters. I was gonna be doing this at 3.30 in the afternoon, but Lee and the grandkids randomly showed up, and you know what? What's better than this? What's better than that right now what I want to do, I don't have to do, I have the flexibility, like let's get into their world and let's make connection with our grandkids. Because I have this moment. Oh, we'll see them for Christmas in ten days. Maybe not. You might not be here in ten days. This might be the last moment you get to see your grandkids. So talk with Zippy. Say something about the Lord to her. Pray a silent prayer over her. Pray a blessing upon her. Be in the moment and think of others and appreciate what the Lord is doing in that moment. Don't be so caught up for the next thing because the next thing ultimately is to be with the Lord with no return to make up for things you didn't learn in the journey and fulfill or to, to be in a hurry and then all of a sudden there you are and you're in assisted living or memory care where they lock you down on the third floor after dinner. And why were you in a hurry? Why was there always something in front of you why well, was always something more than what you had? We need to enjoy the journey, and we need to enjoy the moment. God gave her a child. All that, and the let's let's enjoy Joseph. Let's, let's let's worry about the next kid when the next kid comes. Yeah, let's just let's enjoy this moment. Let's let's enjoy Joseph. Let's enjoy this. And I think for me personally, what I see in the application here is truly. to to enjoy the moment of what God is doing in your life. Not to be complaining to other people about, give me this or I die. Not to be renting out your handmaiden for intimacy to your husband so you can just say, I've wrestled with my sister and prevailed and you call that kid wrestling. I mean, these aren't stories that just happen like in days and weeks. These are years. And we gotta let it go. We can't make it about The envy and the comparison to someone else. In Rachel's case, Leah. Your husband loves you. It's between you and the Lord with children. And he gave you a son. So rejoice in the one son and what he's doing. Rejoice in your mina and be faithful with it. Don't worry about someone who's got two or five. Be faithful with yours and rejoice in the Lord with that. And that's what we learn from Rachel. Now Leah is interesting as we read on with Leah in chapter 29 verse 35 she says now I will praise the Lord. Without well, abundance of a heart does a woman speak. She says now I will praise the Lord. Back in verse 30 of chapter 29 it says that he loved Rachel more than Leah. She truly was loved less. She could feel it. She could know it. And it just Was there. So she was like this partner in intimacy that was for producing children. The whole relationship was awkward and choppy at best. And she really wanted to be loved by her husband, which is a natural thing. God's designed women to be that way and men to love them like Christ loves the church. And so you can see her progression. Reuben is. Well, Reuben, she called his name Reuben. The first one says, the Lord has looked on my affliction. She says, you know, the Lord sees what's going on in my life. That's not, that's not, I like that. It's good for you when you feel like things are unfair, and not going right. Hey, the Lord sees this. The Lord sees this and be sure he does. Then she had Simeon and she says, the Lord has heard. God sees and God hears and he does. So everything she's saying is true. And then she says that with Levi to be attached. Well, that's what she really wanted. Surely, third time's the charm. Surely now he's going to love me and really embrace me with the intimacy that God's designed from the foundation of the world for man or woman. I'm not just going to be an object to him, but the apple of his eye. No. But it is so cool when she has Judah and says, you know what? enough of Jacob. I'm going to praise the Lord. She's like, he is who he is. He is what he is. He is the way he is. He's a son of Adam. I love him. I want him to love me. No amount of children is ever going to have him love me the way I should be loved. The Lord will always love me the way I should be loved. I will praise the Lord. And from Judah comes the king, David. And from King David comes the king of the Jews, Jesus. And the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will praise the Lord. So what we're seeing in her life is she's loveless, she's afflicted, she's very fertile and produces lots of children, but it doesn't produce the result that she wants. The irony of it all, like she wants to be loved like Rachel's love, and Rachel wants to have children like Leah's having children. But the difference is Rachel never found contentment or joy in the Lord. In the confession of her words, only conflict and tension and strife. Whereas Leah's all, hey, you know, it took me a while, but I figured this out. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord because my fulfillment does not come in Jacob. My fulfillment comes in the Lord. God first, man second. We say our stewardships are the Lord, our marriage, and our children, and then the extended ministries he gives us. But the Lord has to be first, because only he can bring us true abundant life, true joy unspeakable, and he's one that loves us unconditionally, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. God can't promise that people will not leave or forsake one another. God cannot promise that people will be faithful to one another, but he can promise you and promise me he will always be faithful to us. And that he will never leave us, nor forsake us. And that all his promises are yes, yes, and amen. Men and women, they make promises that are yes and no. Your bosses, your neighbors, your family, some spouses, some parents. But Jesus Christ is yes, yes, and amen. And she says, I will praise the Lord. Because my fulfillment is in the Lord. Or like Jesus said to the woman at the well, who happened to have multiple husbands, you drink from this water, you'll thirst again. You drink from the well I give you, you're good to go. I'll give you living water. Temporal, time, space, and matter, eternal, the relationship with Christ. There it is. She's like the woman at the well. I'm going to praise the Lord. It wasn't husbands, it was wasn't multiple husbands, but multiple kids to find the affection from a husband that the woman at the well was looking for with many different husbands. Same principle, really, if you think about it. The natural, uh, intimate affection that God designed. She wanted to be loved, she never was loved by her husband that we know of, and she produced all these children, but look at the last child where she says this, I love this. Verse 8, 19 of chapter 3. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. Well, he did not dwell with her that we know of. But she called him the Zebulun, dwelling. But she said, God has endowed me. God has blessed me. God has endowed me as an endowment. Like God has blessed me. I'm going to praise the Lord, and God has blessed me. She chose to receive the blessings, and she chose to bring and lift up the praises in an affliction of soul that, to our knowledge, never ended. It was an open-ended tab. We think, like, I like to close tabs of things I don't like emotionally. This tab, it just kept, it was the gift that kept on giving. There might be things that God allows in your life that chafe you, and grind you year after year, decade after decade. Remember Leah. We have no reason to believe she ever truly got what she was looking for. But in the midst of that life journey, she chose to enjoy that journey. She chose to praise the Lord and to bless the Lord who had blessed her. She was in the moment, and she knew she was blessed. And to me, I just see a huge contrast compared to Rachel, and I find Leah's contrast far more favorable than Rachel in this drama. But there's one final thing we need to pull out of this text that really is the kicker on the whole story. There's lots of application there, obviously, from Rachel and Leah that we can receive and take. But in verse 2 of chapter 30, when Rachel demanded children her husband, Jacob, where she dies, Jacob was angry, and he, he loved his wife, but he stirred up, he's like, <clears throat> and he says, uh, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? You notice everyone talks about God in this text, did you catch that? Jacob talks about God, Leah talks about God, Rachel talks about God, they all talk about God. Let me say that again, Jacob talks about God, am I God? What do you want me to do? I'm not the place of God. Rachel talks about God, and Leah talks about God. So in all this drama, Jacob, and we'll know a lot more about Jacob's drama at work. Going, Jacob had so much drama at work going on at the same time. He go to work and have all this drama with his boss, changing his wages, doing this, doing that. He did come home, and they're like, "Hey, I got the mandrakes. You know, you go sleep with the." It's like, well, what? I just want peace. I just want everyone happy in all the tents. What would you like me to do? What's going to make you happy right now? What's going to go there? Okay, because he just came from work, and Uncle Laban, father-in-law, just changed his wages again. We're going to see that his father-in-law changed his wages 10 times and deceived him time and time again. When the wild beast devoured the flock, it was his loss. So you think, you're so faithful at work, you're making your boss money, everyone's making money from you, you're a gravy train, you're a goose with a golden egg, and yet when something goes wrong, you have to eat it on your account. And your boss was nowhere before you came to work for him. But since you've been there, boom, 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 stocks up, people are investing, it's all good. You've made it all good, and yet when things go bad, they blame you, and you have to eat it, as they say. You have to take the loss. We're going to see that in the next chapter. When this happened, when that happened, when there's a stillborn, whatever, it was on my account, not on yours. So he'd go to work in that work environment. It was extremely fruitful. The boss knew he was extremely fruitful. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. But he'd come home, and he like this. So he's got that going on with their dad at work. Then he comes home, he's got this. Layman's going to talk about the Lord seems like everyone's talking about God and everyone has a different opinion of what God should be doing and on whose side God is on in these events and dramas and circumstances. And again, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Something goes wrong in a church, there's a little schism or division or whatever. It's like everyone's got an opinion. Like with the Calvary Chapel movement, it's like, well, is God with Brian Broderson or is God with Don McCord and those guys? Hey, you know what? Maybe it's with both. It doesn't always have to be an either or. And that's what I like about this story because guess what? He's with both. God is for people. God is trying to draw people to himself to be the best version of them in the power of the Holy Spirit they can be in this brief journey of life in every generation. What he wants to do in each of our lives is to draw us to himself, to bring more of him and his character and his power in our life to be that best version of us. And when we have a falling out with people, like it says in Romans, as much as up to you, live be with all men, Rachel, Leah, Jacob, Laban, 20 years of drama in the family. As much as up to you, the peace be with all men. Leah seems to have navigated pretty well. Rachel, not so well. Jacob's going to work. Father-in-law, Uncle Laban, ripping him off, changing the, changing the contracts here and there. This has been going on for years. And yet, God is over it all and working in it all. So I draw your attention to what we see about the Lord in these passages. God's the final authority on all these things. And so he really just said, hey, Rachel, it's the Lord. What do you want me to do? Am I in the place of God? No, you're not. God met you on the way with Jacob's ladder. promised made a promise to you about your descendants after you're gone. He made a promise to you personally. And you made a vow to him as well. And so we read this. Am I in the place of the Lord? And as we look here, it says in verse 31 of chapter 29, the Lord saw Leah was unloved and he opened her womb. So she's just not saying the kid's name is the Lord sees. We're told by the Holy Spirit, the Lord does see. So don't ever doubt that God doesn't see what's going on in your life. Rejection, false accusations, slander, malice, This reminds us that the Lord sees. Just because an injustice runs a course doesn't mean God's hand is in the injustice. But don't ever doubt that he's not aware of the injustice, and don't ever forget, in eternity, it'll all be made straight. There is no injustice in the kingdom. There are no more tears and sorrows in the kingdom. And the only way to have no tears and no sorrows is no injustice, because injustices are quite often the foundation of the heartache of tears and sorrows. So for Leah, who was unloved, the Lord saw that she was unloved. He knew her emotion. God knows what it's like to be unloved and rejected by men and women, countries, nations, peoples, households. And he opened her womb. He blessed her. And he opened her womb. Specifically told that in this text. Now, when Jacob says, God's withheld from you the fruit of the womb, <laughs> that's her husband's opinion for Rachel, but it would seem to be fairly va- valid. But the Lord saw, and he opened her womb. Then in verse 17 of chapter 30, as Leah is the holding the mandrakes and that whole story, in verse 17 it says, And God listened to Leah. So he saw what happened to Leah, that she was loved less. He opened her womb, and here years later, we're told he's listening to Leah. He hears our cry. He hears your cry. He's listening. He sees. He knows. So in Leah's case, we can say from the text that God saw her situation that he moved in her life favorably to bless her, and that years later, he's listening to her and still blessing her, and she says, I'm going to praise the Lord, and I've, been, I've got a great endowment from the Lord. For Rachel, verse 22 tells us that God remembered Rachel. What he was working in Rachel's life is completely different than what he's working in Leah's life. He's got different plans for each one of them. But she's not the children of a lesser God or some distant cast off. God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. The timing was different and the amount of children was different. But it goes back to how we started, not being envious or comparing ourselves to other people, what God's doing for someone else versus what he's doing for us in the home, in the family, at work, in society. But God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. So let's, let's draw this comparison. For Leah, she's loveless. God listens to her and opens her womb. Years later, we're told that God remembers Rachel. He listens to her and opens her womb. He blessed them both. And the detail of how he blessed him is technically identical. He listened and he opened. Leah listened, opened. Rachel listened, opened. And yet, with all this conflict and all this drama, you would have thought God's on her side or her side. And Jacob's in the middle. With great wrestling, why are they wrestling? They both are under God's blessings. God has a one plan for Leah and a different plan for Rachel. But why are they wrestling? And you see, like, in the end, God would bless them both. We are told that God listened to them both and opened both their wombs. God blessed them both. And yet, all that conflict. So what's our application? You, You didn't need the conflict. You didn't need the conflict. You just need to enjoy the blessings. And recognize the distinction of the plan for each person. Lots of kids from this person, early on, that's what he had. But for you, those that wait on the Lord, they'll renew their strength they the mount up with wings like an eagle. Like, God just had a different plan. His promises are there. And what he has for each one of us is a purpose for his glory in time. And what he has for each one of us is a purpose for his glory for all eternity. But the amazing thing to me in this story is that identically, He heard them and he opened their womb. And all this telenovela, all this drama, it didn't need to be the extent that it was, that is for sure. There are many things in our life that we do not understand that are telenovela. There are many things in your home with your family, your adult children. There are things you don't understand with your extended family, your uncles, your aunts, your relatives, your cousins. There are trusts and there are estates and there are deeds and there are wills and there are gifted things and non-gifted things. There are so many things you don't understand. There are new in-laws coming to your family. The more kids you have, the more in-laws come into your family. And Can I get a witness? Yes. And you got to just keep your mouth shut and pray hard that everyone has a happy ending. And even if they don't, keep your mouth shut and pray hard and do your part to help ensure it's the best ending possible. There are so many things that we don't understand God's will on them with human relations and drama and telenovela. And so this story is a reminder to us, man, kids, mandrakes, husband's like, "Ah, what am I going to do? You know, and this and that and everything else. And, And it's like, it's so, it's like a chime that's tangled up that you can't untangle. So you need to step back by faith and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, your will be done. There are so many things that you can pray for in your life that you just do not know how this is supposed to look, or is God on our side or on their side? You know what, it seems so unfair. Listen, you don't know the end of the story yet, so we pray for God's will because God heard Leah and opened her womb, and God heard Rachel and opened her womb, but their perspective on what was going on is completely different from what we can see in this text. So praise the Lord. Confess That endowment he has given you. And give Jacob to the Lord, give the barren womb to the Lord, give the drama to the Lord, give it all to the Lord because it's the Lord's. And he's working on a picture that is so much bigger than us. We just see the drama of our timeline and our generation, but what about the subsequent generations that would come? We're just part of the overall picture, and this is our timeline. Praise the Lord, bless the Lord and know that his plans are so much bigger than us and we can trust him with it.